Hey everyone, welcome to Thrive with Asbury Seminary. I'm your host, Wes Wilcox, and my guest today is Dr. Emilio Alvarez. He is the Associate Provost of Lifelong Learning here at Asbury Seminary and is one of the up-and-coming scholars and commentators on the intersection of religious education and theology in America. Currently, he serves as the primate of the Union of Charismatic Orthodox Churches. He is also the founder and rector of the Cathedral at Gathering Place in the city of Rochester, New York. I had him on to talk about his latest book, Pentecost, A Day of Power for All People. I learned a lot from this book and from my conversation with him, and I hope you will as well. Here's my conversation with Dr. Emilio Alvarez. So Dr. Alvarez, it is great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a couple of years, I think. So can you tell us, um, since your last visit, you've become the Associate Provost of Lifelong Learning here at Asbury. Um, so tell us a little, about, a little bit about your journey and kind of what your role now entails. Well, yes, it's wonderful to be here with you, Wes. Um, thank you for the invitation to come on. And you are absolutely correct. Uh, since the last time I was here, uh, things have changed dramatically, I may say. Um, the last time I was with you all, I was uh, an adjunct um, faculty uh, and teaching a course or two uh, every year. And uh, now I have had the privilege of coming back and being the Associate Provost for, uh, for Lifelong Learning. Um, so my role as the Associate Provost for Lifelong Learning is basically overseeing and supervising uh, various academic units, uh, the Doctorate of Ministry program. So I oversee and supervise the Doctorate of Ministry program. Uh, actually, I'm uh, presently uh, the interim until we do uh, bring on a new director. Um, I also oversee and supervise the Center for Church Multiplication. So I oversee and supervise the Center um, for Formational and Missional Training, which is all of the certificates, non-credit bearing certificates that are geared towards lay uh, leaders um, and clergy alike, but more lay leaders. And I also am supervising and overseeing the uh, Beeson Center for Leading and Preaching. So I'm doing much. Yeah, you have a very full plate. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a lot to keep up with. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's exciting um, times. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, so lifelong learning for you is also important because if I have my facts correct, mm -hmm. um, you're currently pursuing a PhD in divinity and religious classics at Aberdeen University. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Yes, yes. I, I've been doing that now for some time with my good friend and mentor, uh, Father John Baer. Um, on and off. It's been quite a challenge, of course, as you can imagine, uh, keeping in tension the workload here at Asbury, uh, family life, other things around the country that I'm doing, and then uh, with that new PhD. But it's it's been a journey for sure. Yeah. 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 And I see that you've had a few other degrees as well. So has um, education and the pursuit of different degrees, has that always been something for you that you just loved learning and or is that something that came later in life? You know, that is something that came later in life. Um, I was not, uh, and I want to be careful with how I say this, but um, I, I was not um, raised in such a way that the value of education became clear, at least to me. Um, I think it was later on in life that uh, I really began to value information and education for transformation. And so that that really is the, the, the crux of why I'm in even 
in education, excuse me, is because I just love the way that education and information provide transformation, particularly theological um, education and how it provides spiritual transformation. So it was something that came about later on in life. And we're always continual learners, whether yeah. we're reading books or whether we're watching or listening to podcasts, whatever that is, you know, we're continuing to learn. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, do you know when you'll finish your PhD that you're This on? second one, I do not. Okay. I know that we've taken a little break just so that I could uh, make sure that my administrative duties here at Asbury Theological um, are uh, executed in the way that honors the institution and honors God and the students and the faculty and administration. So, but we'll continue on with it and we'll yeah. definitely keep you guys updated. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, and also since the last time you were on, you've had a couple of books come out. And your most recent one, which we have here, um, just came out in April, and it's mm -hmm. called Pentecost, A Day of Power for All People. And it's part of a series, uh, the Fullness of Time series. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with this and just kind of what the general idea is with this book and the whole series? Sure. Uh, you know, I've been asked that question, and people are always shocked, Wes, by my answer because they think that there's some kind of you know, master plan that happened. And it, it didn't. I mean, one day I was sitting down, if I remember correctly, and my good friend Esau McCauley, Dr. Esau McCauley calls me and he says, hey, this is what we're doing. And we need somebody to be able to really help us develop Pentecost um, within the framework of the liturgical calendar. And we thought of you. And I said, sure, why not? I mean, I have nothing else to do with my life, right? <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm doing this bishop and all of this other stuff and teaching and writing. Oh, sure, of course. Um, and so it was only later that it really became, uh, I think, crystallized for me how important the project, the whole project, mm -hmm. really was um, and how um, just groundbreaking it will continue to be in the years to come. And so we have some really, really wonderful theologians and scholars um, who are writing in this series, and I, I couldn't be more happy to just be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. very cool. So with this specific book, what are you hoping people take away from it when they read it? Um, you know, with this particular book, I really was challenged, and I've got to give a lot of credit to the editors uh, at InterVarsity Press. I really do, because with this book, I was geeking out. Like, I was going theological, historical. I mean, I was geeking out. And then really it was my editors who were the ones to tell me, hey, Emilio, we really want this to be um, a resource that can be in the hands of everyone mm -hmm. and that it can be so practical and yet biblical and theological and historical um, that it could be of significance to many and just, you know, instead of just a few people that know how to read the vernacular. Um, so I really, really did... Um, I really, buy, I really bought into that. I really did buy into that. And so my hope for the book and for the work in the series is that it continues to be a resource for men and women, children, boys, girls, theologians, um, people of you know practical ministry for years to come, that it can be a resource for them to be able to pull from, um, to be able to really continue to develop their practice of Pentecost, but I also want it to be practical enough that it could be a devotional, 
Yeah. You know, something spiritually, devotionally um, resourced that they can sit with it over coffee in the morning. I mean, I've gotten tons and tons of emails and uh, messages from people who are, you know, texting or, or taking pictures of them uh, reading the book over coffee at five o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. And they're sending me these messages on Facebook Messenger and saying, this is phenomenal. I love the way that I can just sit down and read, you know, and drink my coffee in the morning. So I really, those are the things. I wanted to keep that tension between the devotional, spiritual, but also make it a resource for those who want to pull from, whether they're preaching about Pentecost, teaching on Pentecost, or just studying. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's so much great stuff in there because... Um, it's not a book, even size-wise, it's not a book that's intimidating when you pick it up. It's like, yeah. oh, I can read this. And then <laughs> once you get into it, because for me, like, I don't read a lot of um, deeply theological things. Uh -huh. So um, this was a book that was very easy for me to understand, get yeah. into, and see a new side to Pentecost that I never realized before. Because yeah. um, yeah. like in the tradition that I grew up in, I grew up United Methodist, and um, in our church, Pentecost was mentioned on one Sunday. Um, <laughs> there wasn't always maybe a sermon about it. Right, um, right. And so it was really interesting reading this and seeing all the history mm -hmm. behind Pentecost. I didn't realize that it's the oldest season of the church calendar right. um, and that it's a full season, not just a day. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk about the importance of viewing Pentecost more than just an event that took place in one day. Sure. Yeah. yeah well, thank you for that, Wes. Um, that that's definitely encouraging. Um, you know, uh, opposed to the first book that I wrote, Pentecostal Orthodoxy. Pentecost here is um, it, it. It is really for everyone, and I'm excited to hear that. You know, um, you were able to dig deep into it and 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 benefit from it. Um, I do believe that Pentecost is more than just a one-day event. I know that it's a day of power for all people, but it is really that 50-day journey, right? Yeah. And so in the book, I talk about the difference between um, a tourist and a pilgrim. Yes, right? I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. A really good way to think about it. Yeah, you know, tourists are just, you know, they're just lazy dazi looking mm -hmm. around. Pilgrims are really involved in what's going on in this journey. And it is 50 days, right? It's 50 days up to that date. And so sometimes we just concentrate, like you said, on the event of Pentecost. But really, Pentecost had to do with counting down every day, every day, counting that down to get to the day of Pentecost. And so even in the New Testament, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together, which really gives us a sense of there was a counting down. And so those 50 days, how do we, how do we deal? How do we wrestle with that? Because sometimes what happens is, as you know, after Easter, then we have this void, mm -hmm. right? And then we're, those of us who, in the, who are in liturgical traditions, then we wait for the day of Pentecost. But it's really what happens after Easter, the day after, two days after, three days after, four days after. Um, and in the book, I really kind of emphasize this agricultural terminology of reaping, harvest, um, which is so crucial to the day of Pentecost because that's what it was known as, the festival of weeks, I mean, the yeah. festivals of harvest. And so... Those 50 days really as an event, not just a day, are about being able to prepare yourself 
uh, for the coming and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? And how do we do that within this seed time and harvest kind of framework? Yeah. yeah. And I liked how you mentioned um, like the day by day nature of that season. Right. And it seemed like it's there was an emphasis on being present and yeah. not looking forward to something, but being present in the preparation. And, yeah. and I think, I mean, that's just a good um, thing to think about just in our daily life as Christians yeah. to yes. be present and live the day by day. And um, you have a quote, a reference, Abraham Herschel, saying Judaism is a religion of time aiming at the sanctification of time. Yeah. So can you talk about that and how that relates to yeah. Pentecost? Yeah, that's so, you know, um, one of the things that when I uh, when I was um, when I was uh, writing the book and I stumbled again upon Abraham Heschel's um, sanctification sanctification of time uh, quote, which I just love it. Um, that sanctification of time um, is so that we are able um, then to to sanctify. So if the sanctification of time is there, and then as human beings, as believers in Jesus Christ, then we uh, adhere to that sanctification of time, then we are then called to sanctify. Um, you know, I'm thinking liturgically, right? Sacramentally here. Um, but it's only within those sanct- that sanctification of time. And so liturgically, as we come into this time that has been sanctified, set apart, then we are able within that time to sanctify. And and we see that with the sacraments of marriage. We see that with the sacraments of the Eucharist. With, you know, um, But it's even more practical than that, right? Because in the book, one of the things that I bring out is even our posture during Pentecost. So uh, the Nicene Council, the Council of Nicaea in 325, um, you know, says, okay, well, within these 50 days, no one is allowed to kneel. Right. I thought that was really interesting because I had never heard that before. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So the posture of standing up and praying is the posture that you take within those 50 days, right? Because when you enter into that sanctified time, that 50 days, there's this posture of being upright before God, hands extended, always reaching up, right? Oh, and it reminds me of um, Maranatha, right? The yeah. the spirit and the church, right? The spirit and the bride say, come. And it's this Maranatha posture where you're standing upright. But when the day of Pentecost comes, then you kneel, right, in reverence yeah. that something greater has come. And so that whole sanctification of time and the practical elements that you bring to um, that sanctification of time that then sanctify stuff or sanctify space has always been intriguing to me. And I think that's one of the things that I try to do in the book. Oh, yeah. 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 And you do a great job of explaining all that because um, when you think about that, the the metaphors there with standing and then kneeling yeah. when it comes, you have the full body experience right. of, so it's not just something that you're thinking about in your mind, your body is also right. being part of it. And I think that is something that in the traditions of the church that I've been a part of, we don't focus on mm. things like that. And so I found that really interesting. Um, for you, how has a deeper understanding of Pentecost um, and celebrating the day by day and these things that we've been talking about, um, how has that changed your faith? And was this something, did you always know from your tradition a lot of this about Pentecost or was this something you learned later in life? Yeah. So how did that 
change you. Yeah, I, I really did learn this later on, <laughs> was, you know, my tradition was really classical Pentecostalism as a boy growing up. And we really had this eschatological and uh, kind of primitives uh, 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 or not, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm careful with my terms, but uh, it was a primitivistic kind of eschatological tension where we were the New Testament church, right? And that meant that as the New Testament church, we were going to, um, you know, speak in tongues and we were going to see Pentecost and experience Pentecost every Sunday that we got together. So it was really kind of more of an emotive, um, phenomenological approach to um, Pentecost uh, via the Spirit. As I got older and uh, began to um, allow the Spirit to form me educationally, spiritually, I came into the tradition, the historic tradition, the recovery of the great tradition, and really began to learn about Pentecost. But even then, Pentecost was limited to this liturgical sense, uh, where it was a liturgical um, blip on the calendar and you adhered to it and you wore red or you wore right or there was baptism. Um, it has become way more than that now. Um, Pentecost has become the reminder for me that we ought to be bilingual or trilingual in our language of faith. So Pentecost has really become um, a season, a day, an event for me whereby we are reminded as believers of Jesus Christ that it is the anti-babble. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that was something I was going to bring up because yeah. that really stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the anti-Genesis 11, right? And it caused us to be able to have a bilingual, trilingual approach to the language of faith um, ecumenically so that I can understand my brothers and my sisters who are from different traditions. Mm -hmm. Not only that, though, but the, 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 the thing I keep going back to, Wes, which is phenomenal, which is phenomenal, is that the emphasis is not placed on the people who are speaking in other tongues. If we go back to Acts chapter 2, the emphasis is placed on the people who are hearing them. Yeah. And so Pentecost is not only just about being able to be bilingual, trilingual in our language of faith, but it is also about being able to hear one another. And that is a big issue in in our culture, but even in our churches. Yes. That is a very so that's <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, because yeah. I we do need to do a lot more listening. Yeah. than we do. Yeah. Yeah, I tell my students at the course that I teach here, um, the theology and practice of worship, is that we need um, sound doctrine, but we also need holy hearing. Yes. Right? Yeah. In order for that kind of concept of the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It starts with hear, O Israel. And so Pentecost also is is, is also um, this, this event, this time, this space where the Lord works on our hearing and the ability to hear one another is uh, something that is focused in the book as well. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, um, because I do think we can get very siloed in our traditions mm -hmm. and say, well, this is sometimes even to the point where we say, well, this is the only right way right. to do this. Yeah. Um, or being skeptical of others or right. whatever. And I know for me, I'll just speak personally, there has been in my life a, a hesitancy when it comes to mm. 
acts of the spirit and yeah. like and Pentecost and the whole thing. It always just seemed very almost mystical. And then mm-hmm. you see some things where, you know, people are responding to the spirit and that can feel very, mm-hmm. um, even frightening sometimes. Right. Um, so for people like myself or even churches who don't always embrace so mm-hmm. much Pentecost, what would your suggestion be maybe on an individual level or even for churches to kind of dip your toes in the water and yeah. say, um, how can we expand kind of our understanding, our experience even? Yeah, um, that's a great question. That's a really good question. I, you know, I often think back to the beginnings of the Azusa Street Revival West. And, you know, I'm almost tempted to say that sometimes when people who are, not of the Pentecostal tradition in one way or another, when they're approaching the Pentecostal tradition, because a lot of the, um, it, it, it's some craziness, it's, it really is, I, I've got to admit, but there's other spirituality that is true and foundational and fundamental. But people who are approaching it, I would almost always suggest that they approach the history um, holistically. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, um, the big classical debate, right, about the empowerment of the Spirit, of the baptism of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, right, the baptism. And this whole debate about if you speak in tongues, you are truly baptized as evidenced. Um, and people would be surprised to know that in the beginnings of the Azusa Street Revival, that wasn't a thing. Like, it, it, it you know, even William Seymour, he pushed back against uh, initial evidence being speaking in tongues or glossolalia. He pushed back against that. Uh, even William Seymour said, no, the evidence is love. Huh. You know, that's yeah. the evidence of being filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. The initial evidence is not speaking in tongues. There were others who said, no, the, the evidence is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, so all of these things existed within the framework of, quote-unquote, historical traditional Pentecostalism in its beginnings. Because people really need to, to come to a place to understand that if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you have the, if you're full of the Spirit, if, if if the Spirit is 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 in you, upon you, working in your life, it doesn't mean that you have to speak in tongues and act weird. <laughs> you, no. you, you know, um, it it does mean that the love of God resides within you, and that. Um, you might not have experiences uh, like glossolalia, but you might have experiences of tears, like Saint Simeon, the New Theologian, um, you know, and others in in the mystic kind of world. Um, you might have experiences of your heart burning, like Wesley, yeah. right? You might have experience of of lights. You might have experiences, and I think too that it is the Spirit dealing with each individual believer. And so for believers who are approaching this type of spirituality, who want to know more about it, um, I really do think that a holistic look into the history of Pentecostalism, but then also, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, I think a a prayer life, a yearning um, for what the Spirit, for what God would allow for the Spirit to do in our own life and not compare ourselves to others. And I think that's a very hard thing. I mean, in life in general. Yeah. But even with faith, because um, I know at times in my life, it's felt like I've seen other people or I've seen 
some of the things that you mentioned of people um, having experiences mm-hmm. and I don't, I've never had those experiences. So then you wonder, well, is there something wrong, wrong with, with me, me? Yeah, or is my yeah. faith not strong, strong enough? enough. Yeah. 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 And so th- that's, that's great hearing that broader framework right. of, you know, how our faith is going to look different right. from one another and right. we don't have to compare ourselves. Um, for you, so you came from the Pentecostal tradition. What led you um, to want to look at other traditions? And because you talk, there's a whole chapter on the book talking about various traditions, how they celebrate Pentecost. Yeah. And I get the feeling from that and from knowing you a little bit that you do have an interest in various traditions and how the church can come together. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, real talk, Wes. I just got tired of people in my tradition saying that everybody was going to hell, mm-hmm. except for them. It was like, are you serious? There's billions of people on the <laughs> earth, and everyone's going to hell except for us Pentecostals. And I think I was maybe 22. Or I just it, it just doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, thus began my exploration, right, into the various traditions and just, I mean, and it wasn't everyone in my Pentecostal upbringing, right, but for the most part. And so, around 22, 23, I just began an exploration of what it meant to be um, a believer, a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, and just began to really research the various traditions. Uh, what do Catholic, Roman Catholics believe? What do Lutherans believe? What do Episcopalians believe? What do Anglicans, Methodists, Pentecostals, Baptists? And just really came to this place that we all belong to the body of Jesus Christ. Um, and furthered my work in ecumenism when I went to seminary. And there in seminary really began my journey towards uh, really fighting for ecumenism, uh, for that prayer of Jesus in the in the Gospel of John, that they may be all one as you and I are one. Um, and then after seminary, began my work to kind of contribute to the conversation of ecumenism, whether it be an ecumenism of the spirit, um, you know, or uh, spiritual ecumenism. Um, unity through social justice um, dynamics or just unity through mystical dynamics in terms of the Pentecost that unites us. Um, I do believe that everyone is a Pentecostal. I do believe that. I do believe that every believer is Pentecostal by virtue of the empowerment of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Without you know, having to belong to the tradition of the historic tradition of Pentecostalism, I do believe that there is something to be said about Pentecostalism as um, the spirits indwelling within the body, historically, biblically. And if so, and if such, um, then we should all really act as one body. And again, going back to that metaphor of being bilingual, trilingual, you know, I have my primary language of faith. Um, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm clear about that. But, you know, I can be bilingual. I can speak Roman Catholic. I can I can be trilingual, right? I can speak Anglicanism. I can be, you know, more than multilingual. I can speak Methodism and, and, and other things and other traditions. Um, so that's where my real passion came in. And I think it's an impetus that I've been fighting for. Uh, so you'll see that in all my writings and Pentecostal Orthodoxy, the first book I wrote, you'll see that as well. In Pentecost, I wanted to make sure that I included in the book voices that we don't always hear. Yes. 
Yeah, right? that really stood out to me. Yeah, Syrian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, uh, concepts that we really don't really understand. So, for example, um, people are shocked to discover that in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the color for Pentecost is green. Yeah, that was fascinating to me. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the coolest thing because yeah. Pentecost is this life-giving spirit that touches on ecological dynamics. And because it is this Jewish festival of harvest, then the Orthodox continue to keep that, right, as this uh, understanding of harvest. So green is growth and prosperity. And that's what happens when Pentecost comes. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to do in the book. I wanted to bring all those voices. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that really was one of my biggest takeaways after reading it was um, just seeing the need for unity and yeah. just by experiencing all the different things that you talk about and reading all these different traditions, it just gave me a broader understanding of how other people celebrate. Yeah. And um, and I do think that's really needed in our churches. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot more that we could even discuss about this book because <laughs> for such a small book, it's got a lot in it. Oh, um, thank and you. it's it's very interesting. So I encourage all of our listeners, we'll have it in the show notes um, for people to pick up, but definitely because there's even more than what we've touched on. But right. um, yeah, so I'm really glad that you stopped by. Uh, and we have one more question sure. before you leave. Sure. Um, so what we like to ask people, this is the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. So what is one practice, spiritual, doesn't have to be spiritual, yeah. that is helping you thrive in your life right now? And thank you. And, and I answered that totally different. I'm going to answer it totally different now uh, from the first time. And one practice that's helping me thrive right now is calling my granddaughter. Um, since the last time I was here, um, I've become a grandpa. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And I will tell you it's a different kind of love. And there is something spiritual about being able to be a grandfather, grandparent, period, and be able to see your grandchildren's face and the kind of love that is translated. And so one of the things that's really helping me thrive right now, Wes, is even on the days that are not always the best, uh, being able to, you know, chat her on Instagram or Facebook Messenger and see her face and, and see her smile and see her innocence um, and understand that in one way, shape, or form, um, I am responsible to keep that smile on her face. Um, that That's something that helps me thrive. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Dr. Alvarez, thank you again very much. We appreciate having you on the podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Wes. Yeah.